not, but a few weeks back we gave our presentation of uh, our mission trip and what we just did uh, in the middle of September. Nancy, Faith, Ryan, and myself were privileged to go there to Peru, and we scouted out several different villages, I guess about six or so. And in about, in each of these villages, there was two or three believers, and we were telling them, uh, of our, hopefully, the work that is about to take place, uh, amongst our church and church in Mississippi and other churches to hopefully continually come back and share the gospel with them and for believers to come to faith and for a church to be planted and hopefully even a church planting network someday. But the other aspect that we told them about was a meeting, a gathering on October 14th. And so that is today. And they are going to be meeting in Ayavidi. Um, I think that's how you pronounce that. Close enough. Nancy says, nice try. Um, but uh, October 14th, that today at 2 o'clock, they're going to be meeting there in that village. Um, Mike Weaver, the missionary who is in Peru for 17 years, is uh, there um, with... Tom Landry and other believers, and so uh, let's just begin our service praying for them, praying for that meeting, and hopefully uh, it'll be an encouragement to the believers that are gathered. So let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for this great opportunity to come together. Sometimes we forget the privilege that we have to meet together as we just go about our days and weeks. Father, we can become numb to your grace in our lives. So, Father, open our eyes yet again of what you are doing. Lord, we pray for the believers that are gathering today in Ayavidi, in that, that village there. Lord, I pray for uh, Elmer Wacho, for Trinidad, for Isolina, for Mike and Tom, uh, for the Delands, the Harrises, for those that will gather together, uh, maybe meeting new believers for the first time. Lord, it would be such an amazing testimony of uh, believers that come together meeting one another, who live 30 minutes apart from one another, live very close in proximity, but didn't know that there were other believers. So, Father, I pray your Spirit will encourage the saints there today in Peru. We pray for a praise report as to what will take place. And, Father, we are just in awe that you would use us to take the gospel to Peru, to take the gospel across the street to our neighbors. Father, our eyes have been opened to your grace and to your mercy. And so, Father, indeed, we are your children. And indeed, you have shown us how deep your love is towards us that we should be called the children of God. So, Lord, that is what we are, and we praise you as our Father. You are a good, good Father to us, and you give us many great gifts. Father, I pray that you will awaken our souls, awaken us again to what you are doing, and help us to persevere by faith. It is in Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, it is good to be back with you today. Um, I've been traveling uh, quite a bit with the mission trip to Peru, and then this past week we had an opportunity to go to a family reunion in Illinois. Um, some of my kids probably had never met those cousins, their second cousins, uh, aunts and uncles. And so, uh, in fact, the place where the family reunion was at uh, was at my great uncle's house. And I knew my great uncle, but he always ended up coming to Fairview. We'd never been out to his house. And I was like, man, alive, Norval, how, how much property do you have here? Oh, he said, well, I'm not exactly sure. Over 300 acres, I know that. <laughs> and so he lives on a quite, quite a big piece of land there in uh, St. Genevieve area. And we had a great time, um, four-wheelers and, uh, 
eating chili and just enjoying the family together. So uh missed you while we were away, but you were in good hands. Uh, Jared got the, the sermon up from last week quick on the website, so I was able to listen to that. And just as a reminder, um, if you're away out of town on vacation, I know we have a few families that are away right now, you can check the website. Jared does a great job of getting those sermons up quickly. And we're going to be updating the website with new things. So check it out and uh, and be be encouraged. But I listened to the sermon from Brian Farrow from Providence Baptist. He did a great job tying together what God said from Matthew 11 in different places from Joshua and Isaiah. And a couple of things I wanted to point out just as we move back to Matthew. He says... The way that God works providentially is amazing. And sometimes we don't see all that God is doing in the front of the car, you know, through the front mirror, front, uh, glass. But sometimes as we look through the rear view mirror, we see, wow, this is what God was doing. This is how He was tying these things together. So indeed, God works providentially. He also reminded us that our rest is found in Jesus Christ. And our rest ultimately comes from the Lord. And if left to ourselves, rest would never be secure. He also said last week, when our faith is weak, it's an indicator that it is on the wrong thing. I have seen that in my own life, that I, I realize my faith is, is on this, or on this, on my resources, or on my ability, or on my strength, or on this, or on this person, on these things, instead of, going to the Lord Himself. So we must remember our faith must be connected to Christ. And our faith must be, here's a theme that goes throughout the book of Matthew, a persevering faith. Faith is not a once and done. You know, I come to Christ, I trust in Christ as a young child or as a teenager or as a young adult or as an older adult and then that's it and I've got my heaven card and now I go do my own thing. That is foreign to what we see in the New Testament. Our faith is called to be a persevering faith. We're going to see that here in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 12. So let's stand together as we read God's holy word. Matthew chapter 12. This is a long chapter, but we're going to try to get through it quickly. Matthew 12. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people... Oh, that's the wrong book. I was looking at it, I was like, this does not look right. That's the Gospel of Luke. Matthew chapter 12. Let's try this again. Take two. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look! Your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor of those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went from there and entered the synagogue. 
their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, Which one of you has a sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. The man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and healed, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah says this, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him, so that the people, so that the man spoke and saw. And the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will this kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. 
The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through the waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came, and when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there from the last state of the person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and brother stood outside asking to speak to him, but he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Amen. You may be seated. Whew, I wanted to take a breath. There's a lot here in Matthew 12. And I confess that I probably bit off more than I can chew. But we're going to try to get through a lot of this chapter There's a lot of important information in this chapter, as there is in every chapter of the Bible, every verse of the Bible. We want to see what Jesus is saying here as he goes from place to place, area to area, speaks and teaches with authority, with authority from on high. And even the Pharisees, they saw the authority, they saw the signs, they saw the wonders, and what do they do? They say, we want more. We want a sign. Do this. Do that. How can you be from, from Christ if you are who you say you are? Then we don't see it. So even when they saw the signs, they continually mocked Jesus. So let's see what Jesus is doing in the first part. In the first 14 verses, there's two different episodes here where Jesus does things on the Sabbath where his disciples eat Because they're hungry and the Pharisees, remember, who are the Pharisees? They're not fair, we know that. But they are these religious rulers, these religious leaders who think they know the law. And what does Jesus tell them? On two different occasions, he says, have you not read? I mean, talk about a slap to their face. Talk about an embarrassing moment when these leaders of the law, who supposedly know the law, and Jesus tells them on two different occasions, have you not read the law? Not just, do you know the law? Have you even read the law? And so he tells them that my disciples are not doing anything wrong. As they're eating on the Sabbath, they're weary, they're hungry, and they eat. And he tells them, have you not heard what David did? Have you not heard, have you not read what David and those who were with him did when he was hungry? Talk about an embarrassing moment for these pious Pharisees. He tells them David not only ate on the Sabbath, but he entered the house of God and he ate the bread of the presence. And so he says, if David's not wrong, then my disciples are not wrong in what they are doing. I want us to see here, Jesus is not dismissing the Sabbath. Some say, well, he's just doing away with the Sabbath altogether. He is not dismissing the Sabbath, but rather he is correcting a false view of the Sabbath. He's he's correcting um, what the Pharisees were doing with the Sabbath. I hope you got an outline. There may be some extras. Um, when are you back there? 
Um, he's maybe busy. But if you didn't get an outline, Wynn might be able to pass out a few extras. But Jesus is not doing away with the Sabbath. He's correctly interpreting it. He's removing human traditions associated with it. He's allowing works that are necessary. And most importantly, he's showing mercy on the Sabbath. He's showing mercy on the Sabbath. Again, a second time, we see Jesus say to the Pharisees, he says, have you not read? Again, he says this. He says this again in verse 5. He says, Have you not read in the law how this, on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Well, what is he saying here? He's reminding them how the priests went into the temple and were obliged to do work on the Sabbath by slaying animals and offering sacrifices. And so it's like Jesus is telling these Pharisees, don't, don't quote the law to me. I'm the one who came to fulfill the law. And obviously you're not interpreting it correctly. Then in verse 6, we're going to go through this section quickly. What does Jesus say? This is a jaw-dropping moment. Sometimes as we read this, again, we don't understand the importance of what's going on here because we don't know the Old Testament as well as we should. What does Jesus say in verse 6? Look with me in verse 6. He says, I tell you, after they didn't know the law, after he's correctly interpreting the law for them, after he's reminding them what the law is for, he says, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. What is he saying? He's saying, don't look to the temple. Don't look to the Sabbath. Don't find your salvation in sacrifices. Don't find your salvation in law keeping. Look here. Look to me. That is what Jesus is saying. And so this is a jaw-dropping moment as he tells them something, someone greater than the temple is here. He's taking their attention off of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not bad. He's taking their attention off of the law. The law is not bad, but it is if you misuse it, if you're looking for your salvation from the law. And he's taking their, their attention off of these things and pointing them to him. He's saying, look to me. Look at why I have come. And then Jesus says in verse 7, he says, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He says, if you had known what this means, then you would not have been condemned. Then you would not have condemned the guiltless. So he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Well, what does this mean? What does this phrase mean? Jesus tells the Pharisees, if you had known this, you would not have been condemned and you would not have condemned the guiltless. Listen to what J.C. Ryle says. This is very good. I thought this was important for us to read. J.C. Ryle says this, above all, he lays down the great principle, that is Jesus, that no ordinance of God is to be pressed so far as to make us neglect the plain duties of love. Later, Jesus will say, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what's the second? To love your neighbor as yourself. So the law is not to be interpreted in a way that makes us break other laws. We're not to be Sabbath keepers to the point that it means that we are unkind or unmerciful to our neighbors. Jesus, again, speaks with wisdom. Wisdom is only He has as the one who is the Son of God, the Son of Man, and He reminds us that we are to first seek God's kingdom. Then we read another profound statement in verse 8. 
He says, the Son of Man, what does verse 8 say? The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He says, I am in control of the Sabbath. I am Lord of the Sabbath. These are words straight from Jesus' mouth. He is Lord of the Sabbath. He is Lord over all. I want to point out something. When Jesus is referred to as the Son of Man many times throughout the Gospels, the Son of Man is language that is pointing to three key areas. First, it's pointing to the suffering of Christ. Second, it's pointing to His future. And third, His work on earth. And that's what Jesus is pointing to here when He says the Son of Man. His work here on earth, it reveals His nature not only as a wise teacher, but as humanity's Redeemer. Just as we sang about um, our Redeemer, Jesus is pointing them to the fact that He has come to redeem. In verses 9-14, through 14, we continue of another situation that relates to the first one, when Jesus teaches to them what is allowed on the Sabbath. And we see in a, another section here of mercy, of kindness, of loving a neighbor. And in verses 9-14, through 14, Jesus, what does it say here? He says that He knows their thoughts, or that He knows their thoughts, and He asks them, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Well, He is preparing them for what He's about to do, but He is turning the tables back on them, saying, is it not good for me to heal? So He asks them this question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And then he says this in verses 11 through 12. He gives them an illustration. Verse 11, he tells them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into the pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? So he says, if this happens on the Sabbath, you're not just going to walk past the sheep, let the sheep die. Sheep were not pets. They were not fluffy little animals to, to play with. They were instrumental to agricultural life during biblical times. So Jesus is pointing out that sheep are of value. But how much of more value is man, is woman, is humanity? He says, you would rescue the sheep, so how would we not take care of this man? It says, how much more value is a man than sheep? We are created in the image of God. They are not. So what does Jesus do? He tells the man to stretch out his hand. Immediately, he is healed, and his hand is restored, just like his other one. But even though this happens right in front of the Pharisees, what do they do in verse 14? They conspire against him. They conspire on how to destroy him. Again, the signs, the wonders, the miracles, these are not things to entertain us. These are not things to appease us. It's not like, give us more bread, give us more food, give us all that we need. These are not things to entertain us. These are pointing us to the fact that Jesus has come to rescue and save. Yet the Pharisees conspire to destroy Jesus. So Jesus withdraws. It's a tactical withdrawal because it's not time for Him to reveal His identity Jesus carries out His mission as He's accomplishing the Father's plans and fulfilling prophecies spoken long ago. Then in verses 18 through 21, 
verses 18 through 21. Jesus is aware of what they are doing. He knows what the Pharisees are doing. And he withdraws. But yet many follow him. And he heals them all. And order them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not quench. Until he brings justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. We see here that Jesus has come. That Jesus has come as the servant sent by the Father. I think what I'm going to do as a gift to you, maybe uh, maybe this will be a gift to some, maybe others will be wanting more. We are going to stop here at the end of this section instead of re- doing the whole chapter this morning. And so we're so that being the gift, focus in on me for verses 15 through 21. All right. So here's the gift. As we go through this section, I want us I want us to slowly go through these verses because I want us to see what Jesus is saying. He is saying that the prophet Isaiah was pointing to him, was pointing to him as the servant who has been chosen, as the one in whom God delights in. And it says, I will put my spirit upon him. And what I want us to see this morning is that is that Jesus is going to speak some rough words, some tough words to the Pharisees. Because they are the ones that are mocking, scoffing, rebuking, and rejecting him. But he speaks words of mercy to his children. Words of mercy to his children. Because what I want us to focus on specifically as we end our time this morning is verse 20 and 21. It says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. So he is merciful to his people. And he is going to bring justice to victory. The promised one who has come is going to bring justice. The promised one who has come is going to bring the kingdom. As we continue on next week, we're going to see that the kingdom has come. In verse 28 later, he says, the kingdom of God has come upon you. And so he is reminding them that the kingdom has come And in verse 21 it says, In His name, in Christ's name, the Gentiles will hope. Jews and Gentiles, every tribe, every tongue, every nation will find their hope in the Messiah. We must see that there is healing found through Christ. One pastor put it this way, Those who are beyond humbling are beyond healing but that those who humble themselves will be healed. Those who humble themselves will find hope. Those who humble themselves will find grace. Those who humble themselves will seek His face. So I want you to see here, as Jesus has come, 
He has come as the chosen servant. He has come as the Son of Man. He has come to fulfill the Father's plan through Isaiah. We see here in the first several verses that He is greater than the temple. He is greater than Solomon. He is greater than Jonah, which we will see next week. And all of these verses point to the fact that Jesus is the Redeemer. So I want us to see that this morning. And I want to remind us that there is hope found in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Gracious Father, I thank you for this time together. I thank you that we see your Son Jesus Christ as the Son of Man who has come to rescue and to redeem. The Son of Man who is Lord of the Sabbath and the Son of Man who sets people free. Father, I thank you and praise you for your word. I thank you and praise you that your word is true. And Father, I pray that we will seek you in all things. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you will teach us to submit to it. And Lord, we see in your word that in the name of Jesus Christ, we have hope. Father, we see that the Pharisees rejected the hope that was before them. So Lord, I pray that we might look to you and seek you in all things. Lord, let us not reject the hope that is placed before us, your son Jesus Christ. Let us turn to him and let us find hope in his name. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.